Someone to talk to. Hey, baby, won't you talk to me? If you need someone to listen, you know you can always count on me. I can keep a secret. You can tell me what you want. Whisper what you're thinking. I'm never gonna talk. Cause I know that loose lips, they sink ships, and I wanna stay afloat. Not is ever broken Welcome back. This is Lost Arts Radio, and my name is Richard Sachs, your host. And we have a great treat tonight with our friend, Dr. Lee Merritt, who's back. And um, we might mention some of the details about her background, but we've said it a lot before. And a uh, very high-level medical doctor who survived. Her main credential, I think, is based not on years dealing with the indoctrination system, but in character and in ability to go through that system without losing the ability to think clearly and have common sense. And the doctors that manage to do that are incredible. And she's one of the best, in my opinion, So, um, as well as a friend, which is a top credential as well. So what we want to talk about tonight in, in a very, the very brief time that we've got you know, the, I always like to go back to purpose in whatever we're doing. So how come we're taking the time to do the show? And I, I think, you know, it's not just entertainment. It's not just supposed to be interesting and momentarily, oh, that was great. What's next? But it's supposed to actually, you know, do something. And who are we talking to? Um, really welcoming the people that understand what's going on and are following that. But it's not just to go over it for those of us that understand. It's to see how can we still reach people that are at least somewhat slightly receptive, at least subconsciously, and might stumble into the show. And, you know, those are the people that most need our help and the others just need support. So we'll see what we can do. Welcome, Dr. Merritt. It's it's incredible to have you here. Thanks a lot. Um, so I thought, you know, there's so many directions we can go with this, but taking it down to simple basics, there's a situation happening in our country and on our planet right now, because we got people listening from different countries as well. And, um, so there's understanding of the situation, there's understanding of our capabilities, and there's ideas of what to do in response based on where we are in the game now. So if you had to, well, let me just say a couple of quick things and then see what you think is going on. Um, it seems to me, depending on how deeply you go into what's happening, that there's a, a tiny control group at the very top, which, you know, where I've taken it to that is they're getting their orders from non-human levels. And it's beyond the time to worry about people thinking we're crazy. It's better to tell the truth. And that's where I see it coming from. And um, that small group is very focused and 
determined over generations to accomplish something and they think they're near the end of it now, but they can't do it without a lot of help. And so it's largely a psychological operation and on not just the victims of it, but really their servants are other classes of victims. So the people who are serving the dark side and think that that's a good idea are psychologically manipulated as well. If the game came down and people were able to break the trance, even the servants would stop. So how to do that seems like the question, but let's start with, at this point, what do you think is going on at this point in the game? Well, you know, speaking to your point about the very, very top of this pyramid, one of the things that I've been curious about for a while is the fact that um, it, that we've had the Club of Rome since the 60s and all these, these weather, I mean, these uh, climate control people that cl- claim that they want to decrease CO2, you know, mm-hmm. into right. you know, Bill Gates, innovating to zero. Mm-hmm. Now, we as humans need CO2. Plants need CO2. I should have awakened to this reality when I realized that the guys in in Colorado that are growing pot, they're pumping CO2 into their tents. Why are they doing that? Because we are at a starvation level of CO2 for plants. We are really way, way too low. I actually, my friend uh, Willie Soon, who's an astrophysicist, and he's an independent scientist at Harvard, he I asked him one time if he could just send me send me historic data on CO2 levels because I can't find it back more than, you know, 100 years. And the right. in the last 100 years, yeah, they can show an increase. But if you look at it way back, Devonian and, you know, way back in the, in the ages past, we're at an all-time low. And, and the reason I bring that up in relation to your point is we're at 419 parts per million. Plants like it over, over 1,200 or 1,300 parts per million. Now, if you drop it lower than what it is now, we're going to starve plants that we need to live. And my question on that is, who would want, what human would want to do that? So it makes you wonder about the non-human aspect of this war. And I, you know, I, I, as a reader of pretty much anything that comes over, comes across my eyeballs, I, I, uh, you know, looking at the Gnostics reading, talking about the archons Mm -hmm. and, and it really kind of fits the bill of AI artificial intelligence mm-hmm. I mean, we don't even have to be talking about foreign aliens like like you know green men from mars we could be talking about just non-carbon life forms uh, mm-hmm. artificial intelligence so something's behind this and you're right they have a, a very small group at the top that has taken organizational con- organizational control of the medical system and the beauty of that is that most people don't look at medicine as a weapon of war but it certainly can be and that's what they've done. And they've, they've yeah. produced, I think, a genetic toxin. <clears throat> and they've also been doing other things to us for a long time, whether you're talking about fluoride or bromine to stabilize wheat. I mean, we just seem to be poisoned. Our electromagnetic uh, signature around the world now is getting so dense. And we are, since 1857, we have not lived in a quiet world. We've been bombarded with wavelengths. And right. that's something people need to wake up to, too. And so anyway... There's a lot of things that could be damaging us. And here's the shocking, after all this time that you and I have been talking and, and, and we've been looking at this, this outbreak, so-called outbreak, this so-called pandemic, which it's not. When you really look at what they're doing, it's based on a fraud. I mean, it's all, it's all smoke and mirrors. We don't really know what we're dealing with when we call it COVID. 
Is it a virus? We haven't proven that. And they haven't even done the standard things you would do to prove it. There's no isolated virus and there's no attempt to pr- prove transmission. There, we haven't, we haven't, you can't use epidemiology as Dr. Cowan says. Epidemiology cannot claim causation without further evidence. You don't just look at numbers on a map. You have to prove something. And, and they employ these highly technical arguments to make us confused. But when it boils down to it, we don't have autopsy material. And the stuff we do, we have only 74 cases that I could find. There might be more, but 74 cases of COVID deaths that are, that are reported, that are clear, and they don't show viral pneumonia. They show, uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe a couple have superimposed bacterial pneumonia, but what they all show is like, like vessel clotting and, and right, vascular right. damage. So, there's something else going on here other than just a standard viral pneumonia. We don't have an isolate of the virus. And in point of fact, we don't have an isolate of probably any virus that I can identify. I mean, maybe we do, but we haven't shown transmission. So, uh, and, and it's all about fear. And then they gave us these kind of nonsensical protocols to do to make us feel good. You know, in medicine, I always kind of, I do like to give patients things to do. Now, sometimes I realize they're not going to be that effective, but they make people feel like they're participating in their care and that they're doing something to push things along. There's right. nothing really wrong with that, except they're doing it in a way that is evil. They're telling us to wear these masks that are slave masks and, and, and you know, cut off humanity's ability to look at each other's faces. I mean, these are what makes us human. They're doing things that are anti-human, standing six feet away from each other. Mm-hmm. So no, notice, that, notice how that's persisted, that people don't want to get close to each other anymore. It's in three directions, six, six, and six. Interesting. Yeah, that's right. And well, and that's not by accident. I mean, this, the six feet, I, I found that out that the six, I thought, because when I heard that first number, I said, six feet, that's made up. That's not a scientific result of any experiment. You don't get a number like six feet. Okay. Magically, the virus is going to leave after six feet. No, that kid in, in satanic, whatever they want to call themselves, uh, worship, they use, they stand in a circle six feet apart, wash their hands and wear masks. I mean, you can't right. make this stuff up. No. You know, there's so much to talk about that's all related and all critically important for an overall understanding. It, If we could, it would be nice to do a series sometime and make believe it's like a class for people that want to come, you know, because they need basic understanding of since they've been through what I think they call it education. <laughs> and that's where you learn how to not be able to think anymore. Right. And you substitute memorization of everything and also an emotional defensiveness against anything that's not in the program so you know you become insulated and protected against breaking the trance be nice to do an anti-trance class starting at the beginning but that actually is a good idea well if you're open to it we could do it yeah we might think about that that one might be good i'm actually kind of serious i i mean i know neither one of us have any time but we should ignore that and just do it anyway well, so. you know, things, I mean, as a physician, I've had a lot of science in my life, and um, right. I am absolutely just bumfuzzled to realize we've been lied to about basic biology. Right. You know, a little, here's a little, little thing that got me going, um, just, a, just a, a one single point of, of reference, that there was not seasonal flu until after 1855 or 1857. We think that there was a seasonal death curve and a seasonal flu outbreak every winter 
for humanity, right? Nobody, right. nobody points out. No, it started in around 1857. And what was the cause of it then? Well, or what was the, well, why that date? Well, that's when they laid the first telegram lines and wow. it electrified the ionosphere. And ever since then, flu has come and stayed. Now, an interesting second point to that, that I learned in Arthur Furstenberg's book called The Invisible Rainbow that I highly recommend. That's what it sounded like you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's his book. <laughs> but, but the two, but that point, and then the second follow-on point is that there was a Winnipeg, I think I got it from him, there was a Winnipeg um, uh, based astronomer and this guy looked at 300 years of flu data of these outbreaks of so-called uh, pandemics or epidemics of influenza around the world for 300 years prior to the, the advent of electrification. So prior to telegram, prior to lights, prior to anything else. Mm-hmm. Because before then we didn't, ha- we, we didn't have seasonal stuff. It was all kind of random. You'd have one, an outbreak that would hit too fast to be transmissive around the world, but it would hit all around the world. And then you might not see it for 20 years mm-hmm. and then it would hit again. And then it might not be 30 years or 10 years. You never knew. Well, he completely correlated it to sunspot activity and activity of the sun. In other words, when the sun got more active, then our ionosphere got more charged and we got more sick. Now, that is a big piece of information and it isn't new, but as a medical student, did I ever hear it? Did my son, who was a medical student more recently, ever hear it? No, nobody's really heard that. And that's a big thing. And also, they don't teach us that influenza has never been shown to be contagious. They've tried. I knew about it in 1918. They couldn't prove it, but it turns out they've never been able to prove it. Right. Now they just don't try. <laughs> they just ignore that little factoid. They figure that most of the public is, is so conditioned at this point, they're not going to ask why about anything. That is exactly right. I think, and you pointed it out, that part of this is um, we, we've just gotten so afraid that we're just willing to do and believe any, anything to kind of get out of that fear. I think you said that to me one time. But the other point is authoritarianism, that we have, we've, we're educated, like you just said, with the indoctrination. It's not an education. It's something else that has to do with believing in authority. And we mm-hmm. take authority figures and what they say, and we just run with it. You know, the mm-hmm. CDC guidelines, it's like that is carved in stone more than the Hippocratic Oath right now. That's right. Even if they change 180 degrees, that means you change too. Right. Exactly. Don't question it. Right. You, you know, you, it's kind of neat. You started by mentioning CO2. Everything is connected. Mm-hmm. And right now, the conditioning says anybody that's against getting rid of CO2, like we said before, should turn themselves in as a terrorist right away. <laughs> and, and, you know, the the size of the graph you mentioned, you brought up so many great things right away. The size of the graph in terms of the x-axis with the time on it, you know, assuming that the horizontal axis right. is time and the vertical one is parts per million of CO2. And you were saying that if it's only 100 years, you might be able to show a slight in, increase over that time. Not necessarily meaning that it's correlated to industrialization. It just means that it increased. And if you start zooming out and increasing the length of the x-axis, the whole picture changes. And the, the graphs that I've seen that haven't been censored too much show no correlation at all between CO2 and global temperature. Right. And yet that's being pushed so much for an agenda that they're saying, I think it's in Iowa that they're rolling out machines to take CO2 out of the air. Yes, my state. I know. 
Is that where you are in Iowa? I am. And, okay. and Bill Gates owns 900 acres of land. I don't know if it's related to this, but um, this is horrendous. It's amazing. Yeah. And um, they're not really satisfied with that because that might not save humanity in time. So they want to cut down trees and bury them. Because, you know, trees have carbon and stuff like that. And wasn't it just the other day that we were planting trees and that, and that uh, uh, Al Gore would sell you, uh, uh, he would promise that he would plant a tree to offset your footprint? Yeah, I think planting trees is actually a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, and actually, one of the myths of the Midwest that I can tell you, because I, I live on the plains, yeah. is that is that the settlers came out and chopped down all the trees. That's not true. We actually have more trees in the plains now than we did at the time that the, uh, you know, settlers moved from the East Coast out to the plains when the Native Americans were still here. Wow, I That's exactly that. what's true. And in fact, they're not always good trees, like on the... Uh, uh, in, on Western, in Western Iowa, they're the very famous Luss Hills, L-O-E-S-S, and they're one of the three places in the world that have windblown soil. Mm. But they were covered with buffalo grass, which is a neat kind of grass that it will live through everything, forest fires, floods, you, know, you name it, tornadoes, wow. but it won't live through um, shade by other trees and it and it won't live by plowing it up. So the the, right. the but on the hills nobody plowed it, but we've gotten these cedar trees have kind of gotten away from us. Mm-hmm. People, mm-hmm. people like plant a cedar tree for Christmas, don't harvest it, and then it propagates and you know, however they got here, these red cedars, they're all over the place now. And that's killing the buffalo grass and that's actually de- destroying what was native. Oh interesting. Wow. So But the idea of cutting down all the trees and burying them is not that great. No, <laughs> I would say no. Um, the other thing is you were mentioning that the flu started in 1887, something like that? Yeah, about 1857, just before the Civil War, sorry. when they laid the first telegram wires. And here's another interesting little factoid about that. In 1918, what do we always hear about? The Spanish flu. I always right. wondered, why would they call it the Spanish flu? Because it's disinformation. It started in Fort Riley, Kansas. And guess who they were training down there? telegram operators so it turns out that the you know you you probably know the term neurasthenia there was a new neurologic disease that was first documented by a massachusetts uh, doctor in like the 1860s sometime and it was where people got nervous and they had flushing and all sorts of kind of weird symptoms that people thought was psychologic you know, Freud came along and said, oh, no, that's just psychological. Well, actually, it correlated. It, it, people that got it were, first of all, telegram operators. And they uh, they were the first victims of this, and they called it telegrapher's disease. And it, it's just really, really interesting stuff. But it turns out we shouldn't, we shouldn't be around. You know, I bet 30 years ago, I thought to myself one day, probably when the cell phones started coming out, mm-hmm. I said, you know, what does it do to us to have all these wavelengths pass through our body? Nobody's talking about that. Right. And now I know there's a reason they weren't talking about it, but it isn't good to be constantly bathed in these frequencies. Now, your body can adapt to things if it's given time. The question, will we adapt to 5G before it kills us? Right. I think and they've already got the other Gs after that planned out now. too. Right. These are very different wavelengths than we've been exposed to up to now. Um you know, we've been exposed to longer wavelengths, but they don't carry as much data. Now, right. we don't need this microwave length. They need it for AI, 
for AI right. to be linked up and to link everything together to, right. to transfer a lot of data. For you in driverless cars and stuff like that. Right. So, and, and on the other end of the spectrum, here's the other interesting thing that I didn't read in Arthur Furstenberg, but I knew from the Navy. You know, the Navy used ELF for extra long frequency um, ra- uh, radio waves right. to to call the submarines, the, 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 the nuclear missile submarines out from under the Arctic ice. So if you're a fleet ballistic missile submarine, I was stationed at Groton, Connecticut for a number of years. Um, if you're a fleet ballistic, ballistic missile submarine, your job is to carry nuclear armaments and to go out and hide. Mm-hmm. And the Navy doesn't even know. The, 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 the Pentagon, they don't know exactly where you are. They know that you're within a certain box, you know. Okay. But if they need to call, but you're under the polar ice cap, for example. So if they need to call you, um, they need something that can penetrate down to those levels and through the ice and all that sort of thing. And the thing that, see, that's not microwave. That's the other end of the spectrum. You need long wavelengths. Okay. So they, so they would use these what called ELFs, and they would just, they just send a very short burst because you can't carry a lot of information. You can't, you know, give the Gettysburg address on ELF. All you can say mm-hmm. is, you know, go here this time or something like that, whatever they did, right. to get, right. the, get it to come out of there, and then it would give you the further information. But we had so much flack. This was, I was in the Navy at the time, I think. This was in the 70s when uh, Greenpeace was so upset because they were concerned that these little bursts of ELF were damaging the uh, whales' homing p- patterns and the whales' migration patterns because they talked right. to each other with the ELF somehow. I don't know. I don't remember the whole story. But that, they were very upset about it. But guess what? The same you know, let's save the planet. People have erected these huge. This also in my state and other states, these huge wind turbines. And guess what they do? They pump out nonstop. As long as they're spinning, they're making these long, extra long frequency wavelengths. And mm. these wavelengths don't attenuate. They go on. They literally bounce off the other side of the world and back. Wow. And there is some problems with those too, but this is not in the short bursts like the Navy was using. That probably wasn't an issue, but this is an issue. And they've had animal damage. They've had, they showed that it thickens the intima, uh, the intimal layer of your arteries. I mean, there's some bad stuff. It seems like every time you turn around, they're, the guys on, t- on that top of that pyramid that you talked about, they're, um, they're, they're killing us slowly. Well, I don't think it's an accident that the technology always seems to develop in a non human anti-life direction that's a good way to put it and, and really it's almost right it's almost assumed that technology has to be like that and that we need it so there's really not an issue but i think it's because we haven't seen the other side of what could be developed instead and i don't know I don't know what to think about all these new kind of information drops that are happening all over Telegram and some other places. But I just saw a car that was in the 1890s or 1900s, early mm-hmm. 1900s, maybe it was 1910, and it was an electric car. It was right oh. after they developed cars, and it was maybe it was in the 1910s or 20s, electric car, and it could go 1,224 miles, I think it was, on on a charge. Now, Tesla's. Or can only go, what, 360 or 400 mm-hmm. miles on a charge? <clears throat> right. What? <laughs> well, and if the people think they're being environmentally sound by using an electric car, oh. it really comes down to two things. The battery technology, which all gets thrown into the landfills. And the other is what energy source is charging it. Of course. Uh, right. It's still, it doesn't get rid of a coal-fired plant. No, they're running on coal and nuclear. 
they're running on coal and mostly we've expunged nuclear even in America, at least. I mean, look at, they, they banned all that new construction. We could have had great thorium plants. We could have had great nuclear right. plants, much safer than anything. Like everybody looks at Chernobyl and says, Oh, we can't do that. Well, that's old technology. You know, mm-hmm. that's not what we could be doing. And, and I don't personally, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I love, I, I we test drove a Tesla. I thought it was a really neat car, but I'm not sure I want to sit on that battery now that I know about the yeah, problem. Ex- exactly. So technologies have been suppressed if they're life friendly, just like real health information that has no negative effects. Because, yeah. you know, what Hippocrates said is not just try not to do too much harm and don't kill too many people. You know, he was saying, <laughs> don't do any harm at all. No harm. Yeah. Right. And and real medicine is available that doesn't do that. And I think real energy technology, too. You know, for example, Stanley Meyer, <clears throat> you may have heard of him. He he demonstrated driving, I think it was a dune buggy, all over the U.S. to show people what was possible. And his fuel was water. Oh, yeah. I didn't because remember he, the name. He found an energy-efficient way to separate hydrogen and oxygen. You know, which the the problem with that is usually it takes more energy to break them apart in water than you get out in the hydrogen. And he found a, a way around that. And do we still know what it is? Do we still know what it is? Well, what happened basically the technology. is he wanted to patent it because he thought, you know, he'd be a hundred billionaire or something like that, which would have been fine, actually. I mean, he could have taken the money and made water cars available all over the world. So government agents said, we'll buy your patent. And he said, I know about you guys. I, let, we have to meet in a public place. Otherwise, you might do something tricky. So they said, you know, rats, you figured us out. We'll meet in a restaurant. So they met in a restaurant, poisoned him. He died in the parking lot. And they took everything from the meeting and disappeared with it. And then his family still had the documents that were left over because he didn't bring everything with him. Right. And they auctioned that off and said, all right, well, maybe he's dead, but at least we'll get rich. And and I'm not against getting rich for good no. things. So um, <clears throat> they, auctioned, they had an auction and somebody that we knew, Dr. Stephen Greer, was at the auction. But mm-hmm. so were some other people with a lot more money. And um, they took it. It was a group from, I think, maybe Canada or the no- Northeast U.S. of investors. And uh, Stephen Greer said, you really need to be careful with what you're doing. And they said, you know, go away. We have a lot more money than you. And they went back with their documents, and they called him in a panic a few days later and said, we're all being threatened to be killed. And he said, hold on, I'll be there soon. And when he got there, they were all dead. And they had taken all of the documents, and they're all gone. And I've heard of oh a few. Oh my gosh! This is the energy issue, not not. Yeah, re- this is energy, research. but it but it does apply because we see um, we've seen some doctors die, and look oh, at what hundreds. happened to Royal Rife. Um, yeah. You know, as soon as he showed he could treat people without chemicals, he was mm-hmm. uh, disenfranchised. This is a nice way to say it. Yeah. Uh, so he actually his office was like about five miles from where mine is now so wow that's pretty cool he was from elkhorn nebraska right well you know the rife technology is being sold now but there's no way to know the right frequencies Mm -hmm. so you've got all these people selling it and saying no we have them we have them and then you know they're not getting the spectacular results that they used to yeah 
So that's part of the issue is that suppression. Whether we don't have the, we don't have someone with the patience and the technical uh, ability to do what he did to get those frequencies, which was use that very uh, elaborate microscope he built with I think eight, eighty thousand moving pieces or something it was ridiculous. Yeah, and that's a lot and, of trial and error. Too. Yeah, yeah, and he sat there for you know thirty six hours without moving. Essentially, I don't know how he did that before the age of the foley, but yeah. <laughs> somehow he managed yeah. to do that. And uh, but unbelievable stuff. There are people yeah. that have the Stanley Meyer technology now, but they're hiding. And from what I've heard, they're too terrified to come out. Hmm. So one thing that Stephen Greer did, another medical doctor, is he put out an offer. You know, anybody with these zero-point or uh, free energy, clean energy devices, come to my farm in Virginia and let us duplicate the results from a third party. And then we'll give you some money from the investors and put it out suddenly all over the world, um, you know, with no requirements, not for sale. And it can't be stopped and nobody's been brave enough to do it yet. Wow. But I think part, a lot of it is the mentality of the public. You know, they have to be broken out of blind belief in authority. That's really, that's really, uh, at least that's for my profession, that's really where we are. You know, and it's that's what's making this whole thing possible is that we have a group of doctors who absolutely have been brainwashed to believe that all vaccines are always safe in all people all the time. Mm-hmm. And that anybody that that questions that safety. Now, you can question the safety of a blood pressure medicine. That's not a problem. Or you can question the safety of, you know, an antibiotic. That's not a problem. But if you question statin drugs or you mm-hmm. question vaccines, I mean, there's a couple of these. Um, you, you're, just, you're just a crazy person. Exactly. And, and you don't even have to question all of them, even if you just question one. You yeah. know, I know people that don't have a problem. Now, I personally, knowing what I do now, I personally have a problem with pretty much all vaccines. I used to say I would take a smallpox vaccine tomorrow, but now I've come around to thinking maybe that might not have been what we thought it was. So, you just brought up another huge topic, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I, that's what I guess I would say is that, I mean, I, it's crazy that we've been just brainwashed to believe these things. And then we also are, I, I learned this watching the young guys coming out of training now. They are taught that if it's not a 30-year double-blind study that's in a peer-reviewed journal, it's meaningless. And I, I, it, it, I've always known that's wrong. You know, that's not the way. That's the Politburo theory of medical science that yeah. you, or any science that you have three or four guys on a review board tell, tell the rest of the medical profession, this is what you can read. You can't read about this. We're exactly. going to define what truth is. And then you, where it used to be, and I, and I, and I heard somebody, and I can't remember, he's a very, he's a, like a young pop kind of uh, icon kind of guy in the pop culture, but he, a uh, comedian type guy, but he has a serious podcast. And he was talking about, he likes history. And he said that in history, the way you were taught in college to research history was always to look for anecdotes. Look at people's individual experiences and then collate them and put that together because that's a better idea of the truth than if you hear one guy's talking about something that happened 300 years ago. Well, that's when he said that, it really struck a chord because I thought that's what we used to do in medicine. We used to look at our patients and doctors would see trends, see something happening. 
they might try a, a treatment they thought was safe, and, and, if, and, and if it was effective, they might do it on the next patient, and then they would do their own little studies. I mean, they would, they, it's not like you experimented on people, but you observed them, and you, you know, this is how you came to dietary conclusions and things, but you really observed them and made um, made made judgments about them. And then you talked with your colleagues and then maybe you got together a series and you published it and somebody else either refuted or confirmed it. And then you got more people together and pretty soon it became uh, accepted. Now they purposely tell you that anything that's done like that is anecdote and meaningless. That's, but that is the way medical science used but to be. There's a evidence. huge difference between a, a laboratory environment where you're changing one variable <laughs> and trying to hold everything else the same to come to a conclusion. Usually it's a pre-programmed conclusion, but aside from that, you know, just one variable versus real life, you have infinite variables, and most of them are unknown. So the only thing you can do, you can't even decide what the variables really are because you don't see them, but you can observe the effects of what you do, like you were just describing. And that actually works. Oh, yeah. And then, then, then the fact that they wanted to hide, they, now they want to hide data. It's even worse than, you know, we knew the pharmaceutical companies, for example, um, falsified their, like they, they made up a, a fake medical journal that was purportedly peer-reviewed, but it was actually created by them to right. sell their products. Right. And then they got smart, and then they just started hiring doctors to, to so-called author the products that they, the papers that they'd already written. Right. Um, but now they've got to another level where they're actually trying to censor the data that was used to release a product. And that's in the case mm-hmm. of like this Pfizer vaccine. They want 55 years before the data comes out. What does that tell you about what they're doing? I mean, and then when a little bit comes out, we realize in the first 90 days, they had 1,223 deaths. I think that was the number I read. Yeah, that's what they admitted, right? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I think, you know, one thing we could do in the, little bit of time we have here is look at as an example of what you're talking about of blind trust and authority look at the basic foundation of the idea of the pandemic you know Mm -hmm. first of all it's caused by a virus you mentioned the idea of isolation why is isolation necessary to prove the existence of a virus in in fact most people probably don't know what that even means isolation well, you know, we anybody that took high school biology and kind of looks at knows what a petri dish is and all that, you know, mm-hmm. you can you can you can spit on a petri dish and you can look at the different kinds of bacteria that grow on there by the color of the the color of the um the colony you know, on the petri dish. And and many right. people do that in high school. And then and then you could take one colony that has all one color and you can then sterilely transfer that to another completely sterile petri dish. And then you have what's called an isolation, a pure colony of that. And you can double check it because you can look at it easily under a light microscope and see it's all the same looking bug. Okay. Now that pretty much, I mean, I could do that in my bedroom with very few pieces of equipment. The problem when you're dealing with viruses, you're dealing with things that are so, so, so tiny, they cannot be seen by a standard microscope. Mm-hmm. They are so sub-microscopic that you have to process any specimen you have so extraordinarily in order to be able to possibly see something. And, you know, and there are lots of problems with that. So, for example, 
if you look at the what they called an isolate, now they never said, you know, the Chinese, they really, uh, when, when questioned, they didn't say they had an isolate. Now, the first paper made it sound like they had, we isolated, like they threw that term out, I think, like we, we isolated this from the lung of a patient we thought had COVID, okay? Mm-hmm, but what they mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. did is they put these things called primers, which are essentially the same thing as these tests that we're using, the PCR test. But primers are just like a dipstick. And you dip it down into this lung goo that you got from this dying patient. And it's not been filtered or manipulated. It was just a mixed bag of dead cells and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you and you dipstick that with a multitude of these primers that are pre, pre-loaded to resonate with or to react with certain genetic sequences. These genetic sequences are very short. You know, we're talking very, very short sequences. So they're like 18 sequences, I think, they're long. And so mm-hmm. you, you, you dipstick it and you get a, then you put these, these dipsticks into a machine somehow. They call it the Illumini sequence or mini sequence or something. And it spits out, it kind of puts together these little sequences into bigger sequences. It says, oh, well, this is 18 here, and this is overlapping here by 12, so this is probably the same sequence. So it makes them assumptions. It makes a lot of them. And then when they did that in this particular case, okay, it spit out 50, I think it's 57.6 or 56.7 million pieces of genetic material that was 150 base pairs long. Now, here's what you got to know to realize the scam here. They claim that the SARS-CoV-2 virus is almost, you know, it's like 29,800 base pairs. Like it's almost 30,000 base pairs long. Mm -hmm. So picture now you've got, it's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. You've got a jigsaw puzzle and you don't have a picture of it because you don't know, you don't have anything to compare it to. You don't have a picture on a box. Uh, You don't even really know what the edge pieces are, although you've got some. And you've got 57 million pieces, but you can only use 30,000. Now, right. I've got to throw away all the rest of these pieces and come up with 30,000, I think, fit, and then make a picture, right? That's what I would do if I were doing a jigsaw puzzle. Right. That's essentially they did. They, they, so, you know that they had to have in their mind a, an idea of what they were looking for. You know, uh, I heard somebody else, maybe this was Andy Kaufman. I can't remember who said this. I think it was Dr. Kaufman or Dr. Cowan. They're, they're famous for talking about this and know much yeah. more than I do. But they, they basically said, imagine if you had a, a, a bucket of uh, English letters and you knew that you wanted to, you, you, there was a book that you got a title of, but you only have the title and the last page, but now you want to recreate the book. And somebody dumps up this bag of English letters out and you just make the best guess at it. That's what right. we're basically doing. And it, it sounds preposterous, but, but anybody can look this up. When they discuss the genomic sequence of this, they talk about it as an in silico genome, in silico as in, in a computer. And when they can't, when the computer can't fit the pieces together and has a bunch of holes it either fills it in through an, 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 uh, their own uh, program or mm-hmm. it to make the best fit, or you end up voting on it, which is what they not maybe officially, but you and your researcher buddies get together in the lab and say, well, I think this is probably this. I think, and, and it's, and that's called an in uh, a consensus genome. <laughs> and that's what we have in this thing. They, wow. they publish things like this. So when they talk about variants, mm-hmm. just think how ridiculous that is a variant. Now, is it? I can change those holes, however I make the, the consensus read. 
Right. You so know? it's pretty easy to come up with variants. Now, yes. what, what about the fact, you know, what David Martin talked about, um, that the original virus, the SARS-CoV-2, and the ver- a whole bunch of variants were already patented many years ago? Well, and again, you can't pat- patent nature. No, but so in these silicone. are artificial. Yes. So they're basically, it's easy to patent a genetic sequence, but it doesn't, as, as Stefan Lanka, uh, who is a, he says, don't, he's a PhD in virology, but he says, don't call me a virologist. I'm a biologist now. Because he said, the, the fact is, there's just no there there. There's nothing in reality that actually you can compare your experiment to, to say, yep, we're right. There it is. Not like the bacteria. Right. And the the other thing that, you know, this beautiful, look at all the beautiful pictures we always see of those spike proteins on that, on that I round know. ball looks kind of like a fuzzy, weird tennis ball. Yeah. It's all CGI. You notice that? It's we're like not, Mars, Mars attacks, basically. Right. Mars attacks with CGI. Yeah. Now, once in a while, you will see an electron microscope picture once in a while, but not very often. And even that, as, and, and again, Stefan Lanka has been saying this for years uh, in Germany, that he showed uh, in, in a very uh, elegant experiment, in my opinion, that you can, because you have to make all these process steps in order to go from these this unknown. Now, this is another part. This isn't the, the computer uh, thing I just talked about. Another way to, to try and look at what you've got here is to take some of that, that goo from the lung, for example, mm-hmm. and to ultrafiltrate it, centrifuge it, and to try and eliminate all the cell particles that aren't very, very tiny, consistent with viruses. You can, we can try and do that. That's based on the idea that there's a little bit different specific gravity of every right. single different thing in there. Right. So you can, uh, you can, you can throw it in a centrifuge and the big particles like dead cells and bacteria, they go to the bottom. And then what's left over at the top, presumably are these little, very small fragments of genetic material, maybe that we call viruses. Now, so then what you do is you, you make a petri dish now that has a special substance in it. It's, it's, uh, auger made from cow's blood and it's got antibiotics in it. It's got antifungal, uh, uh, things in it, which like are really toxic substances that we use to kill fungus. A whole bunch of stuff. Okay. There's a process. Then you, you drip some of this in and you run it down and you do all these things. And at the end of time, you see, uh, if you see that cells are bursting, then you can take some of these and put them under the electron microscope after you've you know, frozen and sliced and done all this stuff. And you see these little spongy things that we now call viruses. And if they're all the same shape, you say, aha, I've got this pure specimen. Now, here's the problem. This is what Stefan Lanka did. He did that process having inoculated it with what they call the, this, this, this culture stuff that they thought had the virus in it. But okay. then he did the exact same process without putting anything in it. And it came out the same. It came out the same. The other what thing does is, that tell you? When, it's called artifacts. <laughs> well, if you can still think coherently, it should tell you a lot. Yeah, the, the, there's no meaning in the experiment. One question I have about the process you described is um, when you run it through the centrifuge and you come out with what seems to be pretty uniform something at the end, small particles, right. how do you know if you didn't zoom in on that, that there would be a million different organism types in that too? Right. And I think that the point is that they, when they look at these cells and they look for the cells kind of bursting, like it's ki- like the virus has killed the cell. Uh-huh. And then they, then they, when they put that on, an, uh, and I used to do electron microscopy in college or in medical school, but it was kind of, you know, a different side of stuff. But the point is that you can then 
you can look at an area. You're not looking at just one little viral-like particle. You can mm. look at an area, and if it all looks like very symmetric or similar things, you can say, well, that's what we see. Now let's see what this kind of thing is genetically. You know, now we've got a now we've got this pure specimen, maybe. Uh-huh. But the problem is, again, he showed, and also Stefan Lanka showed that depending on the chemicals you use during that separation process, mm-hmm. you can make different looking so-called viruses. The spike protein, I think it was trypsin. If you use trypsin, you specifically make spike proteins. Okay. So, so we don't know. So but, it's but basically all made up. It's pretty, it's pretty shaky. Now, the thing that bothers me is, what are all these PhDs? These are smarter people than me, all these young PhDs. How are they not catching on to this? And I, I kind of think that some of them might be, but they just don't. But again, they're trusting their authority figures because they... Uh, they're meant to do, they're taught to do that, right? Or they're not doing the very first steps in the process. Very much like if I, if I send somebody, I'm an, op, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. If I send somebody to the ophthalmologist for an eye problem, I trust that he knows his part, but I don't research it. I don't verify that he's actually doing the right thing. I trust sure. that he's doing the right thing. And so that's kind of the, the, the specialization problem. That could be what's yeah. going on. That's a huge issue. I mean, I think there's a reason that specialization is what's taught in school now. It's so that, you know, nobody understands the context of what they think they're learning, and they can be misused as tools in the system, and they'll have no idea. No, I think the guys at the top, they're being paid by pharma, because when you think about it, the guys at the top have to know. If you've been a virologist like Stefan Lanka, who God love him, was honest. But let's say you're one of these people at the top. um, You've got to start questioning some things, you know, and there's been enough people talking. There have been enough virologists speaking out and biologists talking about this that know much more about this and can argue this. And they say, look, you're not even, you know, you think this stuff is going into cells, but maybe it's coming out of cells because the alternative hypothesis here is that this little bit of genetic material wrapped in a lipoprotein coat is a signal, is, is you changing your genome on a daily basis or a monthly basis to try to help you deal with the toxins you, you, you encounter in the world. Right. It's, right. That's not what's making you sick. What's you're sick and because of toxins. And so you're spitting out these things to get rid of and right. to change your phenotype, what we call phenotype, you know, the genotypes, which you're born with the genetic sequence, mm. but the phenotypes, how it's expressed. And that could be changed if you spit out little pieces of your genome. It's, it's a very clever idea. I, yeah. I don't have any more way of proving it one way or another, but I like that idea and it fits what else I'm seeing. It brings up the idea of what sickness is. You know, not not degenerative disease, but chronic so-called sickness. What if it's, you know, and I think it probably is based on what I've seen. What if it's a detoxification process that the body's trying to do? Then stopping it would not necessarily be a brilliant idea. Exactly. So, uh, you know, we and and I was joking with uh, Dr. Lynn Finn, who's one of the researchers uh, at AFLDS, and she said, she says she was talking about this. Uh, I forget the name of it, but this new antiviral that's out there now that might be a benefit. And I said, I don't take anything that ends in mir or vir. You know, those are all those antivirals, <laughs> like a cyclovir and right. the, 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 the omir, and they're all these antivirals because what they do is they 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 stop 
DNA, the, the standard things that DNA and RNA do, they just stop the replication in a way that you don't want to, it, it interrupts normal processes. You're just hoping it stops the viral replication before it kills your replication as yeah, a human. Yeah, exactly. It's the you same know. idea with chemotherapy and stuff right. like that, right? Right. And, 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 and so for people out there saying, how could this possibly be, be true? My kid got chicken pox and so did the, na- then the neighbor's kid. If there's no transmission, how could this be? Mm-hmm. Well, again, so then one of the, and this one, uh, this is the point, And I asked, I, I went up to Dr. Kaufman at a meeting. I said, okay, I've come around to your way of thinking, but my real question here is, is that how do we explain chicken pox and measles? All the right, things I got as a kid so. and my kids got as a kid. And that the parties yeah. work. Right. The parties, chicken pox parties work. Well, here's what the point is. Let's say you're three years old, which is about the time that most kids get chicken pox. Mm-hmm. And you've been, you've, ju- you've been born, you've, you know, you've been doing it, crawling around in the dirt and all the good things kids are supposed to do for three years. But now your body says, okay, it's got enough of these toxins. It's time to shed some stuff. Now you're ready for the next stage of development. So right, it makes these right. little particles that are exosomes that mm-hmm. you you shed them. And there are only some places you can shed things. You can shed it in your skin so you get a rash. Mm-hmm. You can right. sneeze. You can cough. You can, you can pee it out or whatever. And you can blow it out of your mouth, whatever. So these right. little exosomes come out. But they're also not just for you. Think about plants. We know that plants signal each other about uh-huh. b- about toxins in their environment why don't we think we do the same thing just yeah, like men a, women living right. together will menstruate together how do they that's know right. that that's so right it's not, you know it may just be the moon but there may be other things so you spread these you're a three-year-old and you push out these little things that then get into your neighbor so in a sense it's transmissible but not in a bad way it's just saying hey neighbor you're also right. about my age and you probably need to do this too you know did, did you see avatar the movie no, I'm, I think I need to watch it. That's though. a pretty neat movie, yeah. And it showed the trees interacting with each other and that all this network was below the soil level. And yeah. it's true. And, and so, like you said, why should we assume that they're the only life form that's managed to do that? Maybe humans have done it, but on a subtle level. Energetic. I, absolutely, I think so. And, and it really is, you think about it, it's really evolution has a lot of holes, quite frankly. It's a theory mm-hmm. of evolution. It's It's got a lot of holes. And one of them is that in, a, in an environment that changes, you know, fairly rapidly relative to our overall genetic ability to evolve, right. you need some other, maybe you do need some other way of dealing with this. And this would be a brilliant uh, addition to that. Mm-hmm. I think exactly. that's, you know. And, and why do people think that, evolution and the existence of of a spirit or god to be mutually exclusive because right if we came from this incredible non-physical consciousness source everybody and everything came from the same thing why could it have not projected us in a form that we could adapt i mean it would be silly not to so you can I mean, see that level right. of evolution is happening every day right we move north we put on fur coats yeah yeah, you know, exactly. we had a brain. We got a bigger brain so that we could do things. Yeah. And the body evolves a lighter skin color if you move into a place that doesn't have enough sun. Right. But, you know, even that is questioned when you look at now that we've sequenced the human genome. And I'll tell you, years ago, that's how that was when I think my first kind of little, you know, you know, the tap from reality that kind of hits you in the head and says, you know, they've been lying to you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what? I think, my first my first thing where it said, I said, 
huh? It was when I heard somebody that had been on, I can't remember which project, you know, there was a, there was a public and private uh, sequence to human genome project. Uh-huh. And, and, and I, but I remember almost verbatim what the guy said, and I've never heard from him again. I don't know if uh-huh. he's a victim, but it, what, here's what he said. He said, he said, now that we've sequenced the human genome, we went back and sequenced a pure African black, a pure uh-huh. European Caucasian, and a pure Asian. You mm-hmm. know, different skin tones, different mm-hmm. features. And, but knowing the, what we know about the ability of their, the, our genetic sequence to, you know, we have variable and hypervariable regions. These things we talk about, how you, how things, how fast things can evolve and how much difference it would make. It couldn't have evolved. Those skin colors and those differences could not have evolved in the time we think we've been around doing these things, you know, since old of Gorge and what they tell us about coming out of Africa. If, if that were true, and if uh-huh. evolution is true, it doesn't work because it's not enough time. And so what he said on this that caught my attention, he said, mm-hmm. the, the more I look at this, the genetics of this, the less it looks like evolution, the more it looks like a, a genetic experiment. So what does that mean about where the people in the North came from, if that's true. Well, that's it, that we may have come from different, uh, you know. All different, different sources. Different sources, yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Although the, the body does try to add melanin when you go to a place with more sun. Right, but you don't become African. You know, you don't, you don't become, you can get darker, but there's no way I'll ever be black. Not so, in this lifetime, but I'm just right. wondering if enough generations were there. Well, that's the kind of thing he was talking about, that based Same. on what they understand about how genes can m- manipulate that melanin in their skin, it uh, takes longer than what we have been here. In other words, it just doesn't fall fit together. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very much like, the, like that idea of the moths in England. You know, they had that, that proof of evolution because the moths that were once white became black because the white moths stood out on the sit, suit, suit, uh, the sooty colored trees. That was uh-huh. one of the cardinal, you know, proofs that they told us in grade school about or high school about biology and evolution. And the problem was it turns out that those moths don't, they don't come out during the day. So the white moth wouldn't have been picked off by the birds, like they, they said. So there's and, more to the story. Huh? Yeah. And in order to take those pictures, they actually had to glue moths onto the tree. <laughs> so I don't know if I trust it. It was worth anymore. it for the sake of science, though. So. Yeah, yeah. We did that for science. So, <laughs> so I, I just think we've been lied to about so many things now. We've got to go back and go back to first principles. Let's we're go back have, to first principles. We're going to have to reclaim common sense and stop blind trust in things. That's that's the bottom line. So if the virus theory of of the pan, so-called pandemic is not solid, what about this idea of preventing disease, like you said, with the injection? Well, so there's two possible. In my opinion, there's two possibilities. I'm discounting a wild virus. That isn't what happened. And and I think that we have so much, you know, I mean, I, I've got a technical talk about that. But Prashant Pradhan and his group in Delhi showed that the spike protein S1 subunit was clearly manipulated in a lab. And he showed that this is the part that we do have. A, a real something to look at. Okay. Mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. have the whole virus, but that doesn't mean we don't have parts of it. And we're able to take this little tiny stuff, this little tiny spike protein thing. And they showed that in each one of these pieces of RNA that they harvested from bats, they apparently were able to 
uh, put four genetic inserts, and those cross-reference with HIV, the human immunodeficiency virus. So there, there are short segments of RNA and DNA we can handle, and we can manipulate, apparently. And when you look at this, they claim... Whatever the spike protein is, they claim that it came out of the lab. That's what these guys are saying from the Delhi place. And they were censored so heavily when they came out with this paper. I think it's probably something that the big boys don't want us to know. Right. And then after that happened, you see, then when we came out with this so-called vaccine, which isn't a vaccine by any definition, a definition of a vaccine is something that stops transmission. Okay. This is an, this by the, the, you know, the actual uh, EUA, the emergency use authorization science that they submitted does not stop transmission. All they could claim was that it decreased symptoms somewhat. So that's a therapeutic agent. It's not a vaccine. And so it should never been classified as a vaccine. Right. But whatever this is, okay, what they do say, and this is the thing people should also know before they run out and get this, under emergency use authorization, it doesn't require the manufacturers to tell you what's in the whole vaccine or this old drug. All it requires is them to tell you the part that they're getting um, approval for. So if they claim it's a vaccine and it's, a, it's, to, it's to make you antibodies to SARS-CoV-2 or whatever, they have to show you what's going to do that. And so what they claim is that they're going to, this is what it says in the Pfizer, for example, this, this produces RNA that will cause your body to produce the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2. So if you agree, a bioweapon, by the way, is something that's made in a lab and it harms people. So if they created this short segment of genetic material in a lab or manipulated a short segment of genetic material in a lab to harm people, it's by definition a bioweapon. And it's the same thing as in the vaccine. So therefore, A implies B. B is that's also a bioweapon. Okay, And that's the problem. So that could be one answer. Now, the other thing is, and I've heard this, I don't think it's a complete psyop. Something was killing the people in China. I don't think that was completely false. I think they, they had, but the other thing to know is that the COVID, that what we call COVID and the way those people were dying in the Chinese hospital when we first watched it in December, at least Mm -hmm. I did in December, January. It was very consistent also with electromagnetic frequency poisoning, non-ionizing radiation poisoning. And so it could be that, that they turned on the 5G, which we know they did in Wuhan and Lombardy mm. and New York City. And right. that created this whole, you know, quick death at first um, and, and, and started the ball rolling. I'm personally in favor of a combination. I think that there was, a, I think the spike yeah. protein was a bioweapon that was created or manipulated in a lab from their harvesting this big, they, they've always talked in the, in the old literature about, about loving this, this bat RNA. So they harvested some of that, put it in, they can, they can create a lipo, the nano uh, Novavax bragged about this. They can create a lipoprotein coating. They put the, put the genetic material on the inside. Um, and then they can, they can basically spread that around and make people really, really sick at first. And if you know the technology, they also can make these things self-disseminating apparently because they, they created a self-disseminating genetic sterilizing vaccine for rats in, in Australia, mm-hmm. a, a vaccine mm-hmm. that would kill their ovaries and then disseminate to other mice by rubbing up against them. Skin so, contact. 
skin contact. So, so picture this. We start out with a, with a, with a, with a man-made pathogen, a bioweapon that they spread around Lombardy, Italy, uh, New York City, and Wuhan, sequentially, actually, Wuhan, Lombardy, New York City. And then it looks like it's transmissible because, first of all, it looks deadly because people are getting this. The people that get the highest dosing probably get, are the ones that are dying or the people with high, high risk factors. But then it looks like it's infectious because they're spreading it by touching other people. Mm-hmm. But what they're, it's not coming out in the air. If it's an airborne virus, like if there really are airborne viruses that are highly deadly, like we think smallpox is, it wouldn't stop at three cities. It would go all around the world. Yeah. For so sure. it didn't do that. It really stopped after three cities, and then it kind of just oozed out. It wasn't like a big dramatic thing, big bad thing at three cities areas, and then it kind of just petered out. It made other people sick. We had cumulative death, but keep in mind we also didn't have autopsies, so a lot of flu got counted as death from this. A lot of the mm-hmm. deaths were artificially manufactured, so that's where the psyop took off. Right. And I think you could have had, and you could have a death. Maybe it's to cover the five G rollout. It's also crossing deaths, I think. Yeah. And, um, and so you could have had, we have a number of things that kill people. You know, people say it's got to be what they say because people are dying. People yeah, die every exactly. year. And even though they're dying in a little unique way here and they're dying, uh, maybe a few more, there wasn't a pandemic level, by the way. We had a less death rate in 2020 than we did in 2011. And in 20, 2011, 12, 13, 14, and 15 had more deaths per capita per year in the world than last year. That's so why WHO a had to change the definition of pandemic. To take yes, care that's of that. exactly right. Because, and it was actually 7.612 deaths per thousand per year last year in 2020, which is less than in those other five years. So uh, that's not what happened. So that's what I think that was a combination of some kind of weaponized stuff and that probably the same stuff that we're putting in the vaccine that can kill you to make you sick. I mean, look at the, look at what happened in Israel when the vaccine first came out Mm -hmm. at a time, 12.5% of the people were vaccinated. 51% of the deaths of COVID, the disease we're theoretically vaccinating against were in people that had taken the vaccine. Right. And so they're saying that's why we need more vaccines. But, but All right. to, kind of, to kind of recap the basics of what you said, the, the weaponized, uh, the research on weaponized bioweapons in, in the labs, like in Wuhan, but there are also at least 12 major ones in the U.S. and they're probably in several countries around the world. That, that took millions of dollars. They, I think they were doing something. It wasn't like yeah. the hospitals in 2020 where the doctors and nurses were all just dancing around having holidays. Right. And the bioweapons labs, they really have a good work, work ethic. <laughs> and they're, they're trying to, you know, they're supposed to produce something that's really bad for humanity. And I think they take that responsibility seriously, as far as we could tell. So, th- but, but there's <laughs> no sad. evidence that what they produced was a virus. Not in the classic sense. It, it, but, but again, what do we think about a virus? See, a virus, really, it's not about what these things are as much as the, what, what, where they, what their point is, you know, where their principle, what their principal use is. So which mm-hmm. direction these, these, we know there are small bits of genetic material in little uh, encapsulated liposomes. The question is, what are they? Are they little bits of toxins we're spitting out that then they harvest or is it it's our DNA that we're spitting out that become these exosomes, or is it viruses that are coming from the wild that go in? In I other words, the, where did the bio web, where did the uh, spike protein come from? 
Well, and I think that we kind of know that. I think that came from, that's from the drastic group doing the research and things. And the, 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 it, it seemed you could follow like Ralph Barrick's lab in North Carolina and the Wuhan lab and the lab in Winnipeg and our bioweapons lab. There's just all over the place that they were working on this stuff. Mm-hmm, right. And they all were working on back coronavirus. I mean, back, yeah. but, but the problem is it, maybe we shouldn't call it coronavirus. We should say there's some RNA that they're harvesting from these bats right, and they're right. weaponizing it. It right. confuses us when we talk about it as a virus. I think it's just harvested DNA or RNA, and we don't really, you know, and again, there's why I don't have enough genetics understanding to completely understand the t- technology for doing it. But what we call a virus is a small amount of DNA wrapped or, or RNA wrapped in a lipoprotein coating that can get into your mucous membranes and make you sick or kill you. Right. That may or may not exist like that. Those are also, that's how would you do to describe an exosome? something we spit out. The other thing is, what would you call a genetic bioweapon? Same thing, a very small amount of genetic material wrapped in a lipoprotein coat that get in your mucous membranes and make you sick or kill you. It's right. all, It's just, where does it come from? So we the name the virus world. is really good for PR purposes. Exactly. So because the, people that? already know to be terrified of viruses. So it has and, it, and it helps promote a, 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 a vaccine program. You see, if right, you don't have viruses, you don't need vaccines. If this is toxins, we can just clean up our environment. Yeah, that would be terrible. I mean, all these pe- people stressed when they're losing their uh, vaccine-related business and stuff like yeah. that. So we know that viruses save the world. F- I mean, vaccines save the world from va- from viruses. So it has to be a virus to need the vaccine. That's right. That's- and, and the way that the initial bioweapon, which was probably built around the spike protein idea, may or may not have other components, how that was spread to the cities that you mentioned, we don't exactly know the details of that, right? Right. I mean, it could be contact poison. It could be spraying. Who knows? I mean, that has that depends on what kind of envelope they put it in, if that's really what happened. Right. They right. would be designed in favor of contact. Um, there was a f- video way back where it showed a woman in a, in a Wuhan computer store, just like, op- like an Apple store, like opening up computers, touching the keys, shutting them, opening, touching, shutting, opening, touching, shutting, and then moving uh-huh. on, not looking at the computers. Right. That's the kind of thing you might do to spread something on those keys. And she may not have even known that that was her job. Yeah. You know, she you thought know. she was an inspector or something. Yeah. So the, the 5G component is really interesting because it looks to me like the, all the Gs from one on up have been weaponized frequencies disguised as communication technologies and 5G being the worst of those so far. But my question is that some of the people who got this respiratory uh, distress syndrome and were lucky enough to get real therapy such as ivermectin or uh, hydroxychloroquine and vitamins that are critical to that, you know, the zinc and all that, they recovered even though they're still in the 5G environment? Well, you know, the body, the canon's law of the body, the body responds to rate of change. So it's maybe, you know, the problem, and, and, and I'll just say this about the, uh, not everybody, first of all, not everybody is equally susceptible. It mm-hmm. looks like people that have some abnormality of their porphyrin production, which is what makes hemoglobin. It's a pathway in your body to make hemoglobin. Mm -hmm. But if you have an enzyme system that's not quite right there, 
you might be more at risk. And one of the signs of that is you get pink urine when you're toxified by things like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing to look for. So it's not maybe the only thing that gives you that, but that's one of the signs that they, back in the 1800s, that they recognized that the people that had that, that reported that were the more likely to have neurasthenia, that they had the, the, the problems of the, they were sensitive to the electricity. Is that limiting their access to oxygen too? Well, and that's, this is how we know this is happening. So at some, you know, and different levels of electrical impulses, wavelengths are going to do different, um, different damage to that. Apparently there's a 5G wavelength that you can actually make oxygen unavailable for us to breathe. Right. You turn it on and we just all die. I mean, that, that, that would be horrible. I mean, I don't know, I don't know much about that, but I've heard that that is true. But what is definitely true is that, is that the rate in which you are exposed matters that you don't, you know, in other words, if I, if I get slowly exposed, I can maybe my body has more time to adapt to it. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. suddenly what, what happens is when you suddenly turn these things on. So the guys in the hospital and it's dose related, the guys in the hospital in Wuhan, not only had they turned on these, these towers in Wuhan, but they suddenly, they put them in that particular hospital where Dr. Lee was. So you couldn't get away from it. They they couldn't get home and sleep without it. They were it was right. everywhere. That hospitals are of full of technology that's wireless too. Right, and and planes. There's lots of areas you go that you get more um, more of it than other places. I mean, right. I hardwired when I started having time because I wasn't employed anymore as an orthopedic surgeon. Mm-hmm. I started reading. Every I started reading all sorts of things, and I stumbled across this. Not having ever really, other than thinking about it years ago, is. What, do, what, do, what all these things are doing to us? When I really started researching and I turned around and I told my husband, who's, who is an IT guy, I said, we need to hardwire the house. Right. Get right. rid of all this Wi-Fi because Good. you need to get away from it, at least in our house. Yeah. And that means minimizing your use of, of the smartphone as a computer. Yes. And that's my problem. I have to admit that the, you know, the problem I have is in the middle of the night when I can't sleep, the smartphone has a light on it. It's the perfect nighttime reading tool. I, uh, but, I, I, you I, know I, what I'm saying? I mean, I do. but I really have to, I keep saying, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to unplug it from the electricity. I'm going to turn all electric circuits off near my bed and I'm going to put it far away from me. I don't normally have to get up early. I don't need an alarm clock right. and rarely use it. I'm going to try not to use it because that really is my biggest time that I sit with my cell phone. Is reading and if you, if you did it. need a light, you know, they have these lamp things that you can get that plug into the wall and stuff. Oh, I know. I've tried those. They, <laughs> they, they either wake my husband up or they don't. Oh, okay. I, I've tried not, that little thing you put around your neck. and I've tried. <laughs> it's just none of it's focused enough. None of it's focused enough. But I do think that the, the reason, and, and why do these drugs work if we're talking about electricity? Because mm-hmm. one of the things that this does is, uh, and the way it bothers you, if it doesn't strip, if it doesn't damage the oxygen, if it's not at that frequency, when you're in electro, and this is why certain diseases are just becoming more prevalent, not only in us, but in animals that are not, right. they're not having psychiatric breaks. They're not carrying around cell phones, but they're getting fatter. They're getting cancers. They're, they're having problems too. So uh, bees, why do we, why are we having this problem with bees not, not being around? You know, right. that should be our, a canary in the mind moment. But, uh, yeah. but, the, but the thing of it, it does is that we all have mitochondria, these little powerhouses in our cells that, that take our food metabolism and, and then eventually convert it down an, an electron chain to produce our energy. 
It's right. our cytochrome oxygenase chain. And, and that requires electron transport. And when you're in these electrified environments, apparently yeah. it strips the electrons from your electron chain. Another thing in favor of this is so you just so you can't your your metabolism becomes less and less efficient. Now, now cleaning up your diets, doing things. This is why things and vitamin C is extremely important at that level of metabolism. So maybe mm-hmm. that's why mm-hmm. vitamin C is a big deal here. Um, that's why it's they were using IV vitamin C to save people in Wuhan. Right, right. Now, now, so that's a big one is stripping the electron away from that system. But another one we've seen is people take the vaccine, for example, or they, I think with COVID, I think they've seen it in COVID. But in any case, they see uh, what's called rouleau formation of mm-hmm. the red cells. And, right. and I'm not saying we completely understand this or I completely understand this. But one of the things to know about red blood cells is they have a negative uh, charge all around the outside. So you have two cells that have negative charge and they repel each other. Mm-hmm. But if I have something that strips those electrons away and now suddenly I don't have enough buffer, then they start clumping up. Right. And when we give things like carbon 60 or something that's an electron donor, uh, they unclump. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, you know, in my opinion, there's a lot of little evidence points here that points to this, the 5G being a real deal or the, yeah. in general, electrification of our world being a real deal. It makes sense. And then once if you're on the top and you're trying to achieve extermination of life, which I think is what they're after, um, then you, you just have enough of a justification to need to be saved with vaccines and let the vaccines do the rest. Right. So they're discovering more and more ingredients in the vaccines now. And, you know, it, what was it in Spain? They had that laboratory that identified visually graphene oxide. But then right. after that, they, which I don't think is in the original bioweapon, so the, the vaccines do more damage than whatever was there in the beginning being called a virus. But now they've got, had this expert in Germany and I don't mean by his credentials. I mean, he knew about activated carbon more than most people in Europe, right? You probably right. heard about him. Mm-hmm. And he no, just made no this. Act, yeah. yeah, no act. He made this video saying, yeah, graph- I, he didn't deny that graphene oxide is in there. But he said that there's a difference between that and graphene hydroxide. And hydroxide is the physical nanoscale razor blade. Right. But see, that's where I have a little bit of a problem. And I don't know. I mean, maybe he's right. I'm not saying he's not. But I have a friend that really is used to work for NASA, really is a nanotechnology carbon chemist. And what he's saying about that, I sent him that video. I said, do you think this is right? Because I can't figure out I can't. I always try and check things and I couldn't find out that guy's background. Right. Well, he found his Ph.D. stuff. and He found stuff and he said he's really an activated charcoal guy. I'm not sure. And he said, the only thing I don't, I don't know that I don't think he's right about the size thing, because when he's talking about these being like little razor blades, you got to keep in mind, you could probably those, although you can make big sheets theoretically of this. And I'm telling you this from from somebody that knows carbon chemistry of nanocarbon particles, not me. I I don't know this stuff. But, But basically what he said is, yes, you can make big sheets of graphene, but when you take it off the backing, you can't keep it big. They all devolve into little nanoparticles. And you could put 250,000 of those nanoparticles in a red blood cell. Theoretically. I mean, these could be that small. So, 
How, you know, that doesn't sound like something that's going to do a mechanical damage. Now, I could be wrong there. I don't know. Yeah, but I don't know. It is suspicious that they murdered him or that it looks like he got murdered. That's usually the government seal of approval. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's the seal of truth anyway. Yeah. yeah so okay. I'm still I'm still uh, looking into that. I just don't know about it being truly a lacerating thing, but it's not good. I can tell you the minimum is, which could have the same effect or worse. Graphene is an incredible, even just plain graphene, but graphene oxide probably too. It's an incredible um, conductor of of electricity. It's an electron transport. It's a superconductor. So if you're going to blast somebody with 5G and you've got a bunch of graphene, who knows what that does. But It could be a receiver of some kind. That's right. It could be be there. Now, I will tell you, I think that they did have this – for a reason in these what these things that we're calling vaccines are not vaccines. They were actually designed to be what they call viral-based genetic therapies. And we know that from the FDA circular they sent to their own researchers about the problem of shedding. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. So we know what they were called, viral-based genetic therapies. And they were used for gene therapy and oncolytic therapy or cancer therapy. And, and right. as such, they have to be targetable. You don't want to drop genetic therapy that's going to get rid of a cancer into the non-cancerous area, you want to drop it on the cancer. So if you're dealing with liver cancer, don't drop this stuff in the brain. So in theory, I think the graphene oxide was there to allow them to externally drive this material over Mm. to the, put it in the liver. That's interesting. It's either that or it's to the other, the other thing that Charles Lieber worked on was so that it would, it would drop the load when it got to some area. You got okay. to, you know, so it has something to do with targeting so some kind of a control mechanism, target and release, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And there's so many other things that have been found. I mean, uh, Dr. Maday, remember, had pictures of parasites, synthetic and natural, both in right. a sample of the vaccine. And I mean, we don't we have to do a series if we can figure out time to do it. But just to touch briefly, um you mentioned that you originally had gone along with the doctors that rushed to say, but I'm not anti-vaccine. This is not a vaccine. All, all the regular vaccines are great. And they've you know, yeah, saved, right. saved the world from smallpox and polio and everything. And, and they didn't really know the whole story. And the programming is so strong, even in these really intelligent, very brave doctors that tell as much truth as they know. I'm not going to mention names because I don't want to say bad things about them, but they're not realizing the real history of vaccines. Right. When when I looked at it back to Jenner, 1796 or whenever that was in the UK, I can't find evidence that they've ever really prevented disease at all. I think, well, I think you've got a good point. I looked at, I looked at um, the big ones we talk about are polio and smallpox, but let's look right. at the world today. The vaccines are causing more polio than clearly are in the wild. That's yeah. why Bill Gates and his group got thrown out of India because um, they could clearly show that that program was causing the polio. And so, you know, the other thing with smallpox is there was a doctor in the South that showed that it, if you didn't have bed bugs, you didn't transmit this stuff. You didn't right. get it, even an outbreak, if you didn't have bed bugs. So by putting people in a clean environment, yeah. it went away. 
Okay, now that doesn't, we have parasites and we have, we have things that, you know, can be transmitted from mosquitoes like malaria. There's no question about that stuff existing. So whatever this is, you know, these, it's possible that's true that, that the exosomes or whatever they are, maybe these are truly viruses that they get transmitted though through bed bugs. What we don't seem to have proven anywhere is that there are viruses going airborne and, and, and infecting people. You know, and in that being the case, these vaccines, what are we vaccinating against? You know, um, I looked at the statistics for flu vaccine because I got into the, I didn't, you know, I believed everything everybody told me. My professor at Mm -hmm. the University of Rochester was Louis Lasagna, professor of pharmacology, who went on to be the head of the FDA. I thought I got really good training in pharmacology and I believed everything they told me. Sure. But now it comes around 2000, what, 2012 or something like that. And the nurses came to me and said, what is this? You know, what do you think about this vac- forced vaccination of us for flu vaccine? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, nobody should be forced to have a vaccine ever. It's a forced medical procedure that's never indicated ethically. But let me look into it. Right. And when I looked at the actual data, I realized it was a big fraud and a dangerous fraud. It was actually killing people. So. Right. You know, I mean, flu vaccine, the, one of the statistics I just saw lately is 67% of Americans. Now, this is a CDC or WHO-owned data. I think it's WHO. So whatever, we can argue whether this flu exists the way we think it is, but at mm-hmm. least this is their belief and their data. They say right. 67% of Americans take the flu vaccine, and our mortality from flu is 0.02%. 5% of Estonians take the flu vaccine, and their mortality from flu is 0.02%. Mm-hmm. Same mortality, big yeah. difference in vaccination rates. Yeah, so exactly. what's it really doing? There was a really interesting project called the Control Group Project done in California recently. Do you know about that? Yep. Brilliant. What's that, what's that lady's name? She was a guest on the show. I should remember. They're just yeah, looking man. at the, something that the vaccine companies have never done, unvaccinated children. Well, and they want to make sure the control group doesn't exist. And, right. and if you'd really have universal force vaccination, it won't. Right. But that that's, hasn't that's, happened yet. And so what she point. did, she, she collected the data from those rare people that have had no vaccines ever. Every disease was radically lower. Yeah. All the chronic degenerative diseases, the heart attacks, cancer, everything, arthritis. I mean, it, it was just clear correlation. Well, we had a doctor lose their license simply by adding up and presenting data that the CDC presented on the amount of aluminum in childhood vaccines. This was CDC data. Right. And they just, by putting it all together and showing it, they lost their license because they were saying this exceeds the EPA level for toxicity by a long shot. Right. And um, that's, that's the kind of crazy world we're in. And it's not, it's not randomly crazy. It's evilly crazy. I think there's so deep corruption and, and deception that it's hard for people to grasp. It is, absolutely. You know, because, like, how one thing that comes up commonly is how could there be that degree of coordination? Right. And, and you know, I'm going to quote J. Edgar Hoover, not that I quote him on much, but this is a really good quote. He said that the individual is handicapped by coming face to face with a conspiracy so monstrous that he cannot believe it exists. Yeah, exactly right. And that's from J. Edgar Hoover, who had reason to know about these things. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I think that's the problem is that people don't understand. But I tell people, look at Enron. Okay. Enron, that company that really uh, went bankrupt ultimately, but did it in a such a corrupt, they knew they were having problems. And so they stole from the people's pension funds and they made these people have no pension funds in, in the process of going down. Right. Well, 
This is a big company. So if you don't think conspiracies can exist, it doesn't take a lot of people to have the conspiracy. It's all, it's all segmented. It's all, it's all, uh, you know, compartmentalized. Well, so a people, few people see the, the nice employee it, level people are just normal. Right. And then they're the corruption is at the top orchestrating it. Yeah, they're just normal. I literally have a family member by marriage who's working for Pfizer, um, doing quality control in their gene there in their gene lab mm-hmm. and i just wanted to say get out get out get out I know. you know you're it's like it's like the little people working at auschwitz but people don't see that they don't see that they're contributing to this and that this whole thing is not it doesn't take a lot of people in the know of the huge conspiracy it just takes a few right and then you have to have a sophisticated system of of educating the people to serve you and giving them each level the right motivation to think that they're doing something important and they're blind to the big picture. Yeah. They're also blinded to the big picture. That's why universities focus on specialization. Right. And, you know, years ago, there was, a, there was this little booklet. I don't know if I mentioned this last time I was on, but have you ever read this book, uh, 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 Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars? Yeah, I read that. Right. Okay. Well, remember that one of the things they talk about for controlling the narrative, for controlling the population is to control education to the degree that they don't catch on to these very subtle weapons because they proved in this book or they show in this booklet that was not meant to be a book, but notes taken from a, a meeting in the 50s, that economic uh, principles follow the same principles as does electricity. So, you know, the basic the physics that we study, the, the, the chemical, I mean, the physical uh, equations that, yeah. that, that, that determine electricity properties of electricity also determine the economy and you can use them interchangeably. And they say in that, you know, we don't want people smart enough to realize what the Harvard guys figured out. No, that would be terrible. It'd be really <laughs> stressful for the rulers to do that. Yeah. So basically, you know, in, in wrapping up this part, if people understand or at least consider the basics of the so-called pandemic are based on fraud. I mean, yeah. we people don't want to talk about that because they realize it's dangerous. But I, I, I don't think we do our job by not telling the truth. You know, I agree. there's no proof that that virus exists at all, except in silico, in a patented computer file from many years before, because David Martin has done a good job exposing that and others. And, um, and you know, the guy from Canada, Patrick uh, King. Yeah, he, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, they, he just asked for proof of that so that because uh, he was being charged twelve hundred dollars for being in a in a in a, a demonstration, a, of, a demonstration over 10 people. And, you know, part of this is so obviously unscientific fraud. This is what bothers me. The level of um, a gullibility that people have that they really believe that in a, that that it makes sense to say you have to stand six feet apart or that you are, you are dangerous wearing a mask six feet into the, into the restaurant, but then you could safely take it off to sit at the bar or safely take it off to sit at your table. I mean, that's your educational idea that you were just mentioning is that in the public health schools, they're literally teaching that whatever the order is, if it's from the right agency, it's true. If you, if you don't think it's true, you don't graduate. That's so. What do you so so what do you think? Is it true? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, And and they make themselves think that they're telling the truth because they don't want to think of themselves as dishonest. 
So it's got a self-reinforcing thing where they're not consciously lying. Yeah, I, I think that's right. So, and that's for, so people that don't think it's a conspiracy that's this big, consider the fact that they misdid the PCR test all around the world. I mean, the PCR test, it wasn't the right test. It should never be used for diagnosis. We know that from Kerry Mullins, but they also yeah. overcycled the test 40, yeah. on average, 45 times around the entire world of Western civilization. Now, those I read the brochure that came out with some of these, like Thermal Fisher and things. When they made the test, they tell you right in there, you only cycle it from 20 to 30 times. If you go over 30 times, 30 to 35, you'll get some false positives. But right. over 35, it's just junk. It's like the broken clock that gets the right time twice a day. It means That's nothing. Right. That's right. How did, if it's not a conspiracy, so there's only two worldviews. I mean, Either, either they were told to do this, and that would have had to have been by definition an international conspiracy because it was all over the world, and right. it harmed people by making people afraid. So they were either instructed, these lab managers that are highly trained to set up tests and never do this kind of thing normally, yeah. or they suddenly had some kind of hissy fit where they all had a psychosis, and they all erred in the same direction. None of them mm-hmm. accidentally undercycled. A huge what? coincidence. Yeah, they can't, and it can't just be random because they never know them undercycled. So it, I don't believe in the world, uh, in the world well, psychosis of the lab manager theory. Even the companies that are manufacturing those tests are very careful of their language. And they don't say if the cycles are set right, it's a correct diagnosis. Oh, no. They just tell you you'll get a, a they show you a, an S-shaped graph and they show you that at this point you're magnifying junk. <laughs> That's yes, what happens. Yes, yeah. yes. They don't say that at the other points you're not. Right. That's right. It does never. They were, in fact, I think I've read one where it said this is not meant for diagnosis. Right. Yeah. So what it's, it's meant for is to show that people are getting sick with something, which they just decided to call COVID-19. And therefore, they need vaccines. And, right. all, and the other treatments that actually help those people, whatever did cause it, whether it was 5G or toxins or spread bioweapons or whatever, um, those things are suppressed, like hydroxychloroquine and vitamin D and IV, vitamin C, and all the helpful right. stuff. And the, and the ones that are pushed are the ones that kill you, such right. as the intubation, right? Remdesivir. Remdesivir. I mean, uh, yeah, you, you, you know, there's, in fact, I have it on my Telegram site. There's a, uh, 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 and I think I got this from Lynn Finn, but it's a, it's a, it's like they looked at melatonin and then mm-hmm. they looked at remdesivir. And um, there are many, many manufacturers of melatonin. There's only one, Gilead, for remdesivir. And uh-huh. it, it's, yeah. melatonin is patented and it's, it's cheap. It's really cheap. Whereas remdesivir is not patented, but it's, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, the other way around. Not, pass, not, not patented. It's all over the place. And remdesivir mm-hmm. is patented and it's very, very expensive. And yeah. um, peer reviewed published papers, they had 10 papers on this for melatonin. So it's not like there's, it's out in the woods. But, but my favorite one is, um, it, the mortality risk reduction when they looked at melatonin for COVID was 79% versus remdesivir, 26%, if you even, if it even reduced it at all, because the toxicity level for remdesivir is very, very high. And that's exactly. the problem is that they, they're, they're willing to accept this toxic drug with less benefit than they are this other. It definitely option. parallels to the use of promotion of AZT a while back. Funny thing, same people, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. So the thing is to avoid being in. Oh, I, I keep thinking of. I want to say one more thing and ask you one more question. But um, 
even in a country based on individual freedom, which in theory the United States was started on that idea, which is its value for the rest of the world in a big sense. Um, even if a pandemic is real, you can't suspend unalienable natural rights at all, even temporarily. And there's a lot of people that are saying with cities, you're bad because you went beyond the six months that you, your ordinance says you can extend the suspension of rights. No, in America, if they go by the original ideals, which nobody's fully lived up to yet, but we should and still could be done, you can't ever suspend for any period of time natural unalienable rights or else they're not unalienable. And from that point on, you don't have any. And so the founders understood that, and they said, we'd rather die of a real pandemic or whatever than not be free. Yeah. And that is... That is what we're discussing here when it comes to like mandates of these vaccines, which I just heard, I guess, New York City, like you said, it's just mandated the whole city. Well, the the um, it's not about what's in this vaccine or what's not in the vaccine, whether it's good or bad. It's about principle. And that is if you can accede to the notion that the government or your mayor or your boss can tell you that they have the right to force you to put something in your body. Right. Then they own your body, not you. And that means you're by definition a slave. And that's exactly. the only thing we're debating here is freedom versus slavery. Look yeah. at Australia. Dear God, look at Australia. They're, they're putting they're, they're these videos out there where these people are not only they're, they're confined to these little cubicle uh, huts right. sitting on the porch, and they're supposed to have a, a, a mask on on their porch, and they're going to get a $5,000 fine if they don't, and if they, if they just walk over to put, do their laundry. I mean, and yeah, these are people yeah. that are asymptomatic and not testing positive. Right. They've been interred just because they are living in a tyrannical takedown. And they're victims of this, but so are the guards who are taking money to believe that they are saving the world by, you know, confining these people and enforcing. At some point, though, let's just point out history doesn't look favorably upon those guards. No. If you look at past history, you know, seven doctors were hung at Nuremberg, including Carl Brandt, who I really think was a good guy. He wasn't a bad guy, evil guy, but he was in a bad system and he didn't get out of the bad system. And right. so his signature caused people to die. Well, you know, that's the problem here. These guys may not be intrinsically bad people and they may not be evil people. But they're in a system that's doing very evil things. And just like the little guys that swept the floors in Auschwitz and baked the breads and and kept the the furnaces running or whatever, they they didn't think of themselves as evil people. They weren't. But, you know, they they weren't. They they were were, just complicit in mass murder. They were just not realizing that they were, you know, Eichmann didn't make make these places run. He just ran, made the, you know, he was a good organizer. The right. people that made the work there made the places run. And if you stop working for evil, evil will not survive. Right. But exactly. you, won't, you won't be, you know, after the war, uh, hometown justice took over in those little villages in Germany. And a lot of these guys were killed by the, by their, yeah, the people so in the it would be better for the servants of evil to wake up now, too. It'd be better and, to get and on the right say, side of history. Yeah, they're, they're, they're uh, victims, but they don't have to go along with it once they realize that. Right. There are other jobs out there. Come on, guys. There are. And besides the other existing jobs, and maybe we can talk about this in a future installment, we really need to be creating a new civilization before the old one is gone. That's exactly right. A parallel world of freedom. 
Yeah, exactly. So maybe yeah. we can talk about that next. Yeah, anyway, that'd be awesome. We could go on for 10 hours and I want to, but we should have some little breaks between. So um, thanks for being here. I mean, we're all your fans. So, Well, thank you for having me. I love your show and uh, I appreciate all you're doing. Hold on and we'll say goodbye in the break here, unless you wanted to say one more thing. No, that's good. That's good. Okay. Okay. Hold on. So there goes Lee Merritt, you guys. I hope you got a lot out of that discussion. I thought she was great and I really appreciate people like her either as doctors or in other positions of influence, um, operating from a position of character and ethics and honesty. It would be good for that to spread everywhere, actually, huh? uh, throughout all of society. And that's why we ended up talking about start the necessity of starting a new civilization, as many of the others we've talked to lately have, have mentioned. Uh, it first came up with Peggy Hall talking to her, and she's doing that, and so are a lot of other people. Um, Christian Northrup talked about it, and I'm sure we're all involved in whatever way we can be. Even if you don't do anything, you know, major changes in who you're dealing with on the outside now, if you just make a change to come from absolute integrity, if you're not 100% there already, um, that changes the world. And we have to have Lee Merritt back, uh, Dr. Merritt, as soon as we get a chance, maybe every couple of weeks or something. And I think she's interested in doing that. So that could get a lot more of this vital information out to everybody. And, and she's really right that a lot of the problems that we're dealing with come from the blind trust of authority that we've all been taught that we have to have, you know, especially, I mean, all kinds of authorities, you're just not allowed to question them. News anchors, famous news anchors, commentators, university people, corporate leaders, uh, people in commercials, celebrities, doctors, hospital people, health authorities, public health leaders. These are all people we've been trained to have just unquestioning, blind trust in. And that's threatening life on Earth <laughs> without any exaggeration right now. So people like Dr. Merritt and all the other great ones that we've interviewed recently and in the weeks to come, they're trying to break through the hypnosis that we've all been afflicted with. And it needs to break out soon because time is of the essence. You can feel all the dark forces accelerating right now. And that means the forces of light like you have to accelerate too. And, um, even if you're not in physically in touch with very many people, if you change your own consciousness, it affects people at a distance. And that's not some new age, amazing, you know, silly theory, um, conspiracy theory or whatever. It's based on what quantum physics and all comes from, which is the basic way things are set up. And we are all networked together and we're networked with everybody. So what we, the frequency which we generate, which everybody is broadcasting, whether they know it or not, most of us don't, is impacting everybody. And if that becomes focused and conscious, then you can have as much influence on healing the world as you'd like to. And it's hard to even grasp that concept that it might be real. But from what I've found so far, it is real. And we're going to take it further Every day, all of us that are interested in that, that's what we're working on in Planetary Healing Club. 
which you can access if you want at planetaryhealingclub.com. But it's what we're all having the opportunity to work on every day, all day, all night. We're doing it now just in a very scattered, unconscious way, most of us, and that can be changed. So anyway, that's a long subject. That's planetaryhealingclub.com, and we'll be trying to put references to it and bits of it that we can on the public platforms too. So either way, we'll try to share it with you as much as possible. Dr. Lee Merritt has a website called drleemerritt.com, D-R-L-E-E-M-E-R-R-I-T-T.com. You can also get there by going to themedicalrebel.com. They go to the same site. And there are all kinds of videos that she's got there that she's been in, interviewed by people. And she's got her own podcast, which she mentioned in the show, um, Mondays. And I haven't seen it before. I didn't know about it before. But I will definitely be interested in that. And I would imagine that that will be on her website as well. So I think that's the main thing. And um, share the link. This is one that gets censored and shadow banned and everything. Dr. Lee Merritt's not acceptable to the mainstream, which means she's got a lot of vital information. And she's a really good person, you know, from my point of view, um, risking her life to share this stuff. So... I think it's worth our time to share it to get over the uh, shadow banning and the censorship and get get the uh, the recording of Lee Merritt into the biggest networks that you can, or even if you have a small one, get it into your own email network and share the link. I think that's about it. <clears throat> Main message, as always, is just take care of yourself, incorporate, learn, and use the real health information that's being hidden still available and you can get hold of it in a lot of different ways transform your health get off as many drugs as you don't need uh, some doctors will actually help you do that there are a few conscious doctors that realize wait a minute there's something wrong with taking poisonous chemicals and swallowing them and thinking that's going to make you healthy i not can't put my finger on it, but there's something wrong with that. They're, they're realizing it. Even if they're called medicine, it's what they are that matters, not what they're called. And there are positive, real medicine things to learn about, which, like Hippocrates said, do no harm. They don't just hurt you a little bit or kill one out of every hundred people or something. They don't hurt anybody. That's real medicine. And it's not as profitable as the medicine that makes you sick all the time because then you think you need more and more of it. Um, so learn about it and use it. Help your families and your friends with it, whoever's interested. And then you can do your real work of healing the world much easier if your body's feeling good and you're not sick all the time. Just a suggestion. And to stay in touch with uh, where we are on the air and not censored, go to lostartsradio.com. Um, all the links are there to the live shows and the different kinds of platforms that we're on, audio and full video. And if you have resources and you want to help us stay on the air, since we're not getting in money from most normal sources, we're not doing commercials and stuff like that, we're uh, very appreciative of assistance on any size. Donate button is at lostartsradio.com. Lost 
or the Subscribestar link there, subscribestar.com slash lostartsradio. If you have the means to do that, that would be great. Otherwise, please share the videos and benefit from them. That's the whole point. You know, take the information that's coming from these great people and use it to help your life, and that will accomplish the main goal. Um, even if you say nothing, you influence everybody else all the time. So that's about it. That's our Sunday show, and we have a Saturday show, Lost Arts Radio Live in the afternoon and evening in U.S. time. That's linked on lostartsradio.com. And also, after the live show, we have Planetary Healing Club live meeting. Doug and I are there every week in person, and we go over all kinds of incredible, incredible information beyond what we can share on the public uh, venue. So that's uh, planetaryhealingclub.com. I think that's about it. And um, hope you have a good night. Thanks for giving us your time. And I hope you got a lot out of uh, listening to Dr. Lee Merritt today. And I'll look forward to seeing you here next time. Have a good night. Introducing Lost Arts Radio on Subscribestar.com. Just go to Subscribestar.com slash Lost Arts Radio to find our rewards program offering 10 different giving levels starting at just 5 bucks a month. We offer incredible value for any rewards level, from extra monthly interview videos not available publicly to subscription-based Planetary Healing Club videos once, twice, or three times a month, to private counseling sessions with Lost Arts Radio host Richard Sachs, to tech help with me, Doug Diamond. We even have one option where you can be the star on Lost Arts Radio as our guest on a specially produced show just for you. We conduct an interview with you and broadcast it to our growing network and listenership. Our subscribe star levels are one of a kind and offer great rewards for any budget. Please help support Lost Arts Radio. We can't do it without you. With increasing censorship on many of our channels, we really need your support today to keep doing what we're doing. As Richard says, we're not even at survival level yet. Lost Arts Radio has three weekly shows. Lost Arts Radio Live each Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, which is a live stream currently on multiple platforms in case we get banned from some of the larger ones. Right now, we're on Facebook Live, Twitch, and DLive. You can access these broadcasts by going to www.lostartsradio.com live for all the links to those channels. The Planetary Healing Club meets right after Lost Arts Radio Live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday nights. And our Sunday show with guests airs at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Sunday nights on our Blog Talk Radio channel, our YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and on Brideon. Be sure to sign up for our free email list just in case we do get banned on big tech's platforms. It's just a matter of time, really. They don't like the stuff we talk about, and they do not want the truth out there. In fact, they have already attacked us numerous times. Join our free email list so we can let you know where we are and how to access our shows. The sign-up button is right on the top right on most pages of our website. The best starting point for all things Lost Arts Radio is our main site, lostartsradio.com, where you can find the hottest news selection videos that we curate just for you. Those are on the homepage and added to daily, as well as articles and breaking news about information you really need to know. Our show archives, the 10 most recent shows, are right on our homepage, as well as our Blog Talk Radio page, 
at blogtalkradio.com slash lostartsradio, or just click the All Things Radio Show tab right on our website. We're in the podcast directory on iTunes, and all of our shows except the band ones are on our YouTube channel at Lost Arts Radio. Our Brideon page is really taking off, and we often have editors' picks videos right on their homepage. Visit brideon.com slash channel slash Lost Arts Radio. On our site, you can also access our free listener forum as well as sign up for the Planetary Healing Club, which is just $25 a month, where you get private access to a one-on-one interaction with hosts Richard Sachs and myself and the other club members who participate live. More info can be found at planetaryhealingclub.com. We're providing solutions in there to make the world a better place. Come join us. Stay tuned because up next, you'll get to hear a really great song by an independent artist that we're doing our best to support. Go to lostartsradio.com slash music for the full list of all the great songs and bands that we spin on our audio-only podcast shows. If you're in a band and want to submit a song for consideration for airplay on Lost Arts Radio, visit my website at diamonddiscaudio.com for more information about the music placement, mastering, and mixing work that I do. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Lost Arts Radio. We love having you as part of our family to learn, experience, and grow with. If you need someone to talk to, hey baby, won't you talk to me? If you need someone to listen, you know you can always count on me. I can keep a secret, you can tell me what you want Whisper what you're thinking, I'm never gonna talk Cause I know that loose lips, they sink ships And I wanna stay afloat Nothing to fix, if nothing is ever broken Someone to lean on Hey baby, you can lean on me If you ever need to cry so You know that you're always safe with me You don't have to worry I'm never gonna judge You can be yourself here There's nothing here but love Loose lips, they sink ships And I wanna stay afloat
Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da